Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Today, I am super thrilled to have with me Mark Parrin and Nick Inge, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about who they are and perhaps what's brought them on this podcast today. So who would like to go first? My name is Mark Parrin. I acquired a, a spinal virus at the age of 25. I was in construction industry, wasn't able to go back into construction industry, so ended up falling into local authority where I spent 25 years in supported employment and that was supporting people with all disabilities to find and keep employment um, and then I took early retirement um, one year ago at the age of 56 although I don't look it but, and then what I've done then is fallen into the world of the speak up um, arena and that, uh, yeah, with, with Nick and I trust so we can tell you more about that later. And that's Mark, and, and I'm Nick Inge. I'm the um, owner of a business called I Trust Assurance. We're a speak-up business, and we help organisations create healthy speak-up culture through a combination of training, consultancy, and our bit of tech, which is a speak-up app. I'm also the co-founder of a not-for-profit organisation called Worldly Wise, and we've got 75 volunteer ambassadors who go into schools and colleges across the southeast northeast and a little bit into the northwest of, of England and give young people their free worldly wise advice about uh, life and the journey that is uh, being an adult as you leave um, school and colleges I suppose and that's what we do and I've written a couple of books as well for what it's worth so. And how did you guys collaborate how did you meet? I, I actually was introduced to Nick by um, one of the colleagues that we have at iTrust called um, Andy Southern and what we did was we I did a presentation one of the last presentations I did um, when I worked for local authority to Chamber of Commerce um, and Andy was on there and he contacted me afterwards and just said look oh, you've got to meet you've got to meet Nick he's got to hear what you you've got to say around the whole disability field and, and stuff um, met Nick and we've never looked back since so it's been good <laughs> Although he probably wants to get rid of me every now and again, but uh, nothing new there. Yeah, that's how we met, and and we formed a, a lovely working relationship. Um, and Mark is from a world that I'm certainly not from, and has given us some fantastic insight into the world of disability and training. Um, and he features in one of our promotional videos, where certainly we filmed um, last year Mark in a chair and how that has impacted his life and, and the issues that he comes across every single day of his life um, and how our, certainly our bit of tech is, is, can help people like Mark and has helped people like Mark um, overcome obstacles, you know, like I say, in their everyday lives. So. so that's the thing that interested me. So obviously I've known Mark a really long time. I'm trying to work out this morning how long that was. So it's 22 years. So you used to work with my husband many moons ago, didn't you, with people with head injuries. And you've had such an interesting career, but you also have a personal story with disability as well. When you said you were collaborating with Nick, I thought it would make a, a fantastic duo to, to come on my podcast. And one of the things that I was really interested in, in terms of the kind of speak up 
is whether people particularly with disabilities people who might experience discrimination or even things that like I was looking at the, the video mark you know you're trying to get along the street and someone's parked really inconsiderately <laughs> on the curb they can report that through this app can they and, and kind of what what would happen if somebody noticed something in the workplace or out in the community what happens to someone if they report through your app you're able to kind of take us through a little bit of what Give us an idea of what might happen. Yeah, Nick can take you through what the reporting process is. But can I just say that it it was really interesting because one of my experiences through the whole of the disability, you know, having acquired a disability at the age of 25 and now 56 is, is that I found, you know, whether it's learning disability, physical disability, it's almost the norm that people with disabilities um, take what's thrown at them in life. There's not very often someone will actually speak up about some wrongdoing because it's almost as though it is part of your life. You're so used to people, you know, doing something wrong, but it's almost the norm. Uh, I listened to a couple of speakers recently who, who, who have the similar experiences. So I've never thought about, if I'm honest, you know, speaking up about a car in the road. You get annoyed, you jump up and down or hop up and down or whatever. You do those things, but... There was never that facility, you know, you didn't know where to. It's almost like with parking bays. You know, if someone is is a physical disability, they've got to get out of their car, they've got to toddle into the shop and say there's somebody parked in my, you know, allocated blue base space or whatever. But with the app, you don't even have to get out of your car. You can just report it directly, and, and that's the thing. And Nick, I'll tell you a bit more about the report. Absolutely. The way the app works is that someone can take a picture or a video, or upload a voice note, or take you know a picture of a document, and then send it literally as a fully encrypted, password-protected PDF email straight into the inbox of the person that's going to be responsible for making sure that whatever they've reported is looked at and investigated. And I suppose Gosh, that's wow. where we're making such a headway in terms of clients really loving what we're doing. And it's really empowering their staff or people using it. Because imagine if you know that you're completely anonymous, literally, and it's a web-based app, so it wouldn't track your IP address. It doesn't record who you are unless you decide you can be over and known. And that's your choice as a user, not anyone going through the back door to try and find out who you are. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And literally, you can anywhere in the world send an email straight into the inbox who, who's the person responsible. That's very empowering. And what it also does, it acts as an insurance policy within an organization because people know there's a state-of-the-art reporting mechanism, so they're less likely to do anything wrong. And we sell it as a, a sort of a dash cam for any organisation because they can see what's coming. They can nip any issue in the bud, hopefully, and it doesn't then hit the press or someone goes to Glassdoor or goes and reports to their friends and family. And it's it's a win-win because the organisation are saying, we want to hear it, Watsonall. We don't want to hear all these issues when they, they're far bigger and, and there's a big cultural issue within your organisation. But, you know, it's so empowering. And, and speaking to, like, Mark, for example, last year when we were developing the app and he was very much involved in its development, you know, imagine if you if you are, uh, you know, using a chair and you turn up into a supermarket and someone's parked in a disabled bay, for example, and shouldn't be, you know, imagine if you had a, a system by which you could go to the, the board in front of the, the car parking space with the QR code system and literally that email would go straight into the inbox of the store manager I mean, it's so at the minute, like Mark just said, you, where is that organisation? Where is that ability to be not only just use a hotline, for example, which is all very well, but where's the evidence on the end of it? You know, where's the registration photograph? Where's the person getting out who hasn't ordinarily, to all intents and purposes, got a disability? You know, because 
we yeah. all know these offices. I'm not. I'm not going to try and you know stereotype certain drop car car drivers that maybe shouldn't be using those sort of bays. But you know who I'm talking about. You know, but how empowering is that? And like I say, if people know there's a system by which they can be reported, they're less likely to do anything wrong. There's so much there, isn't there, around mm. autonomy? We could talk all day just about this, could we? So much there around just that autonomy, but capacity. So Mark, we know we have a background in learning disability and, you know, informed consent, knowing what you're doing, know where that information goes. But then there's all the extra kind of extraneous stuff, I guess, in terms of there's a paper trail that you know something's going to be done. And I guess my experience as well with people with disabilities and, and is that quite often people might not want to speak up because they've had experiences before where they haven't been heard, you know, they've, or they've been invalidated, it's been minimised. That's just something that happens. Or as you say, just get on with your day so I think it's incredibly empowering to know a that people want to take the time to listen that your experience is really valid um, and what an incredible thing and and you know how how are you getting this out there then so how do people know about you um, because I've only fairly recently come across your work and I guess by having you on this podcast hopefully that will also help but how can people find out a little bit more about this if they want to read up on it yeah they can go to our website itrust.uk.com um, we've got a sizable social media following, certainly on Twitter and LinkedIn, and that's where you're going to find all the information. What's happening is we've got a zero zero pound marketing budget, and that's not talking ourselves up here. We are marketing ourselves through word of mouth because the tech sells right. itself. The t- yeah. Every time we do a demo of the tech, people are saying this. And like I said, we can't. We can just about log on, as you well know, Tara. Right. But the people are looking at the tech going, this is amazing. It is amazing. And the person, the developer, the main developer behind it is neurodiverse and has been bullied all their life for who they are. Right. The reason they've got involved with it and the reason they're so passionate about what they're doing in terms of development is because they know how it feels to be on the other end of it without having a voice. And if they can give a voice to people who are in a very similar situation to them and, and others as well, but that's why we all believe as a team what we're in what we're doing with all different backgrounds and Mark through mine, through the developer, through to the comms and marketing, through to the legal side of it. We've got a fantastic team of people here. We've all come together by hook or by crook, haven't we? Yeah. But but we're all believing in what we're doing. And I suppose that passion comes through in terms of not just the tech, but the business and where it's being driven. And like I said, it's we we're being driven as a business by word of mouth, and everyone keeps saying. You know, how, how have you ended up knocking on the door of the Premier League? How have you ended up with a trial literally today starting of the app in a police force? Wow, gosh. That's, that started today. Now, we started out looking at SMEs, certainly in construction. And when we went to a, a current client of ours and we said to them, Look, how would you like the app to be developed for your specific industry? They said, say, for example, in construction, near misreporting is a massive issue in, or underreported issue. Yes. How about, could you develop the app so that one of the buttons on the speak, because speak up is more about empowering people. Whistleblowing has got a very bad bad press, right? It's all about snitches and grasses and, you know, not doing the right thing, but being the wrong, doing the wrong thing and being the wrong yeah. person in a minute. Speak up is more about getting rid of the wrong in, 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 in a workplace or an organisation, as well as suggesting a change. So there's a button on the app where you can suggest a change, like an electronic suggestion box. You can also praise an organisation or um, praise a colleague because ordinarily you might someone might be getting the recognition that they deserve because someone else is jumping on the bandwagon and getting promotion on the back of their good work. So, but the construction industry or this particular company said to us, "Well, look, near misreporting is a massive issue or underreport 
So now we've got a, a near miss. So anyone in a construction site anywhere in the world, literally, can take a photograph of someone. I mean, I can hardly put shells up, Tara, but but it's right. Someone who's not wearing a <laughs> hard too. hat, yeah, no, not wearing a hard hat or wearing a high vis, they can take a photograph and it goes straight into their operations director's inbox. Now, I mean, how fantastic is that? Because it's before, remarkable. Well, say it's remarkable. We've stumbled into this. Like I say, I'm not yeah. a techie by any stretch of the imagination. If someone said to me when I retired from the police, you know, you'd have an app. As a business, I'd be thinking, really? I mean, where do you even start designing an app that you own, that you own the code for? I mean, I didn't know what the code was. I didn't know what a code was, let alone design an app and own it. But this is, you know, this is, but we've worked out as a, as a team what the user wants, not just what the client wants. And we've designed the business, not just from a tick box for a regulator, like a lot of organizations will have some, yes. oh, yeah, we've got whistleblowing policy. We've got, yeah, but really, if you're, if you're a user, do you really believe in it? And this they can truly believe in. So the clients love it because what we do is white label the app so it looks like their own app because apps aren't cheap to develop and then maintain. So it looks like a police app with all the logo, with all the branding, all the colouring. Any organisation can have it looking like their own app. And and the staff go, well, we've got our own app. Well, they haven't. It's just, it's our software sort of reskinned under their own app. But, you know, and like I say, apps aren't cheap to produce. So this is yeah, there's lots of reasons why we're making lots of ground. But And we're very thrilled that we are, obviously. But you know it's um it's a it's a good place to be in it well and that's where that synergy came from the whole disability side because it like yes. you touched on earlier time not everybody with a disability wants to speak up because they've had a whole lifetime of not being able to or not knowing how to absolutely yeah and that's where from my perspective that's where it excited me because i thought god you know those individuals because there's a there's a part of the app is around there's a suggestions element to it where people can put they can praise member of staff you know they can they could you know apart from the whistleblowing side there's the the, the big plus side and that side excited me because i think i, I know there would be a lot of people learn disability or whatever that wouldn't want to speak up team meetings. yes they could put their point across through the app and it'll go to the right people and everybody and also from my perspective, you know, there's a lot of companies now that are trying to be more transparent. They want to attract uh, employees from the wider talent pool out there, as I, I used to call it. And to be a better company, they have to have these sorts of things. They have to be a bit more transparent, a bit more open. There's a lot of training that's attached to the app, um, you know, around disability, around wrongdoing, all sorts that people can access. Good. I was just going to say that, the how do people know what should be reported? And, and it's that difference, isn't it, between ticking a box, we've got something people can report, but why are we doing it? And perhaps is that helping move towards change, you know, a core shift that presumably organisations in the longer term, they I like that, what you were saying before, Nick, about that ownership. You know, if the branding matches your company, you're investing in it, you're being asked. We used to call that in psychology, you know, top down versus bottom up, that there's a a double approach there that you're educating people doing psychoeducation to help them learn to therefore know but will that kind of change attitudes hopefully do you think and you know does that make sure that perhaps there is a core shift in some of these organizations in how they treat people who speak up yeah absolutely yeah so to speak up as psychologists you know it's really hard for people to to get it once they've crossed that line that's, yeah. a, that's the hardest thing what happens then after that is 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 for the organisation to treat them with respect, treat them with yes. dignity, and take what they're saying seriously. And that's half the battle. And if if they don't, what happens is word spreads very quickly with that organisation, and then people don't, and then they either stay silent, or as I call it, they become the internal terrorist. They get their revenge another way, 
or they go sick. And, and then you've got the whole ongoing issue of retraining. And it costs the organization a lot more money than they would do if they dealt with it for, properly in the first place. So, um, yeah, that, that whole hurdle of stepping over that mark and having something by which they can in which they can trust. And when you yes. go through the app in the different pages, there's a, there's a section. So when they've made that disclosure, made that report, they can gauge their feeling through a very simple set of emojis. And for the sort of KPIs for the organization, we can say to the organization that you've had over the last quarter X amount of reports in relation to blah, 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 blah. And your staff feel so much better for having done it because, you know, you're, you're in this world. I'm not a doctor. But, you know, by speaking to people and having that counseling ability, even speaking to a friend about an issue, you, yeah. just offloading is a, is, a, is a big release sometimes for lots of people. And having Absolutely. an app where yeah. you, know, you can use it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, three, six, five you know, on the train or a Sunday night, or whatever, I've got a suggestion to make about whatever it might be ordinarily. I mean, and the only reason that came about is because the constru- we, we listened to the client and I said to them, okay, well, where's your electronic, where, you know, if someone wants to make a suggestion in your business, where do they do it? There's a bit of paper in a canteen in a box. I went, really? I said, this is the 21st century. Come on. You know, if people see people putting bits of paper in a canteen on a construction site, they're going to think, well, oh, they're grassing me up or they're a busybody or a do-gooder. Come on. Yeah. And, and I said to this particular company, I said, how many reports you had in your suggestion box? In fact, in their in their office, it was in the in the reception area. I said, how many how many suggestions you had in the last year? None. Well, come on. I mean, what's the point you have in the box? You're just you're just showing that people you can suggest a change, but really practically, if people are going to do it, of course they're not. So this is why we developed it as we did. And we, and people say, have you ended up with all these features? So because we, people because <laughs> people asked for them, we designed it and, and built it into the system, you know and honestly we look around sometimes and we look we look at the competition and go why has no one done this before you know what i mean why it just seems a bit obvious but like a lot of the simple things in life i suppose they're, they're glaringly obvious aren't they but i suppose in and my backgrounds in the police and the informant handling is that you know we used to recruit people and the first question i guarantee the first question they'd ever say to us if they're in a in a in a police cell and we were asking them to become an informant or we met them in a, an unmarked police car you know, out in the countryside or in a hotel room and whatever, and they say, right, who's who's going to find out? Who can I trust? Yeah. Right, that's the biggest, that's why I called it I trust. The business called I trust, I trust the system, right? Who can I trust? If they don't trust you or they don't trust the system, they're never going to make a disclosure, they're not going to make a report. And the whole system goes sideways because what happens is the clients go, or if they haven't got a, a decent speak up system or whistleblowing policy, they say we haven't got a problem. Of course you've got a problem. Even in, even, look, I annoy myself, let alone my wife. Right. So even in any relationship, the bigger it gets, the more issues there are. And if they don't get reported, it's a bit like Emperor's New Clothes. They've got, there's no issues. Of course, there's issues, but no one wants to report them because they don't feel they can or there's no mechanism. So That's can, a good metaphor. Well, hopefully. I don't know. I've used it a few times now. But, you know, if we can and we have produced something and stumbled into it, but from a very human centric point of view, that's how we built the business. I mean, I'm a very chatty person, as you can probably tell. And we'll be here Which for I that. love. <laughs> well, like you can say that in five hours when we haven't finished. But, <laughs> but we build it from a very human-centric point of view. How do you feel as a user, you want to use this system in terms of the, the simplicity of the app, the colours? I mean, it's very high-tech behind it, but the simplicity, the colours, the, the usability of it, and that's what it is. And, and when you're in that in, in that dark place where you, you think you're going to make a disclosure, or want to make a disclosure, but you feel disloyal to the organisation that's paying you, paying your wage, for example, or coaching you through a sporting career that and dissonance making, or that conflict yeah what's it is you're going against the grain and how yeah. does that feel okay well if i can if i can use something that they, they've invested in and i believe in as a as a user 
that's half the battle. There is something there, isn't there, around congruence. So in psychology, we like to look at, you know, is what's inside matching what you're doing and saying. And, you know, it really struck me then as you were talking that there's no point in having an app where you encourage people to speak up if actually people don't have trust in the developers that you want to hear about the issues, you know. So you, it sounds like it's really congruent. And there's something about trust, isn't there? And I you know, obviously that's where the, the, the name came from, that people need to feel supported. And we know as a psychologist that, you know, if people have had bad experiences, your brain's going to hold on to those. You'll go into threat mode and go, this could happen. So which is why people back away while we avoid. It's just, you know, the cycle of human behavior, isn't it? So encouraging people, and it really struck me what you were saying and again about that if people are able to talk about it together, using the app, normalizing conversations about even speaking up and using the app, that will really help. But also perhaps if we can, the kind of unmentionable, but tackling the powers that be to make sure this isn't a tokenistic thing, that it leads to real change or as what psychologists like to say, kind of a core shift rather than just sticking plaster changes, which I think is fantastic. You know, what really strikes me, so I work with a few people on some really innovative projects and I see such a difference when people come from a place of passion and real meaning. You know, this isn't just a business idea, is it? This is about you guys and your innovation and your passion, which comes across even as we're talking about it now, <laughs> even as we're navigating this tech, which is all quite new to us all still, isn't it? Um, and one of the things, if it's all right to bring in Mark for a second. So I have a background in disability, spoken many times over the year about your story. Is that is it all right to ask a little bit about your story and your background no, and how please. that because we want to talk a little bit, don't we, about kind of attitudes to disability. And in 22 years that we've known each other, things have really changed, haven't they? Um, what's your background? What's your story for our listeners? For like I say, at 25, yeah, after being in the construction industry, I did the apprenticeship and advanced craft. And loved, I used to love that. I used to get up every morning with the excitement of, um, you know, sort of where am I going today? And then literally overnight when I contracted a spinal virus, left me paralyzed from the neck down for a couple of years it was it was a total life changer so mm, I went yeah. from I went from being what I call an oik on a building site and no disrespect to any builders there because it was a different era it was back in the sort of late 80s uh, up to about 1990 but what it did was it was a bit of a leveler for me because I ended up you know in Stoke Mandeville for 14 months um, with people I would never have mixed with before in my life airline pilots um chanel photographer you know things like that people that i probably wouldn't have had that opportunity but when i came out i just thought what the hell am i going to do when it comes to employment again and i didn't have a clue yeah. but i actually went back into employment doing a short work experience as a car salesman which was very interesting and did that from the wheelchair and stuff but it gave me the confidence back to interact with people again because yes. after over a year in hospital you do become quite disempowered a bit institutionalized as I used to say but then while I was on that work experience obviously I sold a car to somebody from local authority who happened to work in supported employment and they asked me to come along uh, for a job interview and then I was there for 25 25 years but what I did was started off as a job coach which is somebody that actually trains people in the workplace to learn new tasks so I learned a lot about the the way people learn and how people yes. learn in different ways. And that was the big eye opener for me, you know, for going from a learning disabilities, you know, autism, physical, sensory, but just learning the different ways that people learn new tasks. That for me was, that's a game changer. And then I had a big caseload of what we call an employment support officer. So I then started to deal more directly with employers. So getting under the skin of the employer. And like you said, it's, it's about 
cultural shift. And that is, I think, in the early days from 25 years ago to now, that's the biggest difference I've seen is the cultural shift in businesses. They want to now, they begin to realize that, A, there's this huge talent pool out there of individuals that they've never really looked at, didn't understand, you know, and never gave a second look. It was always last, anybody with disability always was last in the line because of misconceptions. Yeah. So when I became that employee support officer, I then was lucky enough to go on to manage a team, a team of about a dozen people. Now, that team became very successful within our organisation purely because I think we're all passionate about what we did. We're all willing to try to do things differently, try whatever worked for that individual. So we tailored our approach very, you know, individualised. I then ended up the last segment and the sort of 25 years was probably my most enjoyable though, and that was just dealing directly with employers. And that for me was, you know, I had a, I had an advantage. I had a disability. So, you know, their first impression hopefully was yeah. one of those positive ones when I fell through the door. Sure it was. <laughs> but that for me was, again, I saw very quickly from 25 years ago to now that, any organisation that really was that was trying to support somebody into employment focused solely on the client with a disability, never really um, giving much credence or thought to what the employer needed and what the employer wanted. So what we tended yes. to do was split it. We looked at what the employer needed, where their gaps were before we matched our clients. So, you know, what became very apparent very quickly was employers, a lot of high turnover roles within organizations were because they maybe had a lot of repetition a lot of structure to the role which a lot of people didn't find floated their boat and there we had hundreds and hundreds of individuals that had come and said to us i like my routine you know i like to learn in this style and i'm thinking there's all these jobs but an employer at that time just didn't understand enough about maybe learning disability about autism sensory impairment so for me, it was about putting in um, training that would change the culture. So uh, we used to go in, we used to train everybody, everybody in the organisation, didn't care if it's 400 people, we would get through it because if everybody had a better knowledge and understanding, the culture of the organisation started to shift within, within. And then it was very easy to place people then and they became employed because people have a better understanding. And that was my whole philosophy. And that's how the whole iTrust thing came. When I took took retirement after the 25 years, and, and I took retirement because, like I say, you know, probably a little bit about life history. I had my wife passed away through cancer and stuff like that. Then lockdown hit. Yeah. So I thought, hmm, I need a little bit more me time. And I thought it was time for – I'd done everything I wanted to do in the industry um, and and hopefully was, you know, well-respected well, I know, I know it went quite well because now the British Association of Support and Employment want me to go and do some stuff with them, which is great, which means I can then, amazing. I can push that. But, yeah, it's that. so there have been changes. But if you look at it in the 25 years, I don't know what you think, Tara, but things have moved on forward. And I think lockdown and the whole COVID thing gave some HR and recruitment or, you know, teams the opportunity to take a breather, to sit back, and yeah, look that's a good what, point. How they do it, and yeah. for me, that was that was a bit of an eye. During that period, I was able to engage with more employers than I would have normally before the COVID lockdown because they had the time 
well changed overnight, didn't it? It went online. The downside to the whole new way of working, if I just sort of touch on that, is that everybody's saying how wonderful it is that people can remote work and stuff. Well, I would, in my experience over that 20, 25 years, is 75% of people with disability wanted to get out of their house. Yes, it's a good point. Yeah. They wanted to get in the workplace and they wanted, I would call, a normal work-life pattern, meeting new people, the interaction which they have. So that's... Human you know, like, interaction. There's so yeah. many people saying about or how great it is you know there are a lot of people with disabilities or whatever that do like working from home that's great but there's a huge majority that you know are desperate to get back to somewhat i would say a little bit more normal than online because they they gain a lot more from it really it's but there's so much there isn't there about that lived experience you can read up on things you can read up on disability but for me there is something about that lived experience spending time when I'm with my patients, I have 22 more years if you count the stuff we did before <laughs> I qualified. And you draw on that, don't you? And for me, there is something I really, my values are around congruence, you know, doing what you say, meaning, not just ticking boxes, tokenistic stuff. And so much of what you said there, Marina, about that you again, very much like Nick was saying, hearing people, what do they want? What don't they want? Which I always think is just as important. You know, actually, yes, there's been so much that's been great in terms of the pandemic and perhaps new ways of working. But does that suit everybody? Is that what people need? Um, And I'm just thinking if we kind of move that across to to Nick for a second, if we're thinking about people who might be working remotely, for example, is that something that the app can also support? You know, if you're someone who perhaps isn't as connected with people as you were pre-pandemic, for example, a lot of people still working at home five days a week, not connecting with people who might be experiencing discrimination or things that are not okay in the workplace, but there isn't the forum to just pop to HR like when I used to work into the NHS or book a meeting with people is that something you've come across or been thinking about it's certainly something we've been thinking about and anecdotally certainly in the press there's stories about remote working and people being or feeling bullied online because they are you know working remotely and it's a big thing yep Yep. if they have the app I mean it's a web-based app so and what that means is you can access it not just through your phone, but you can go on the laptop or your desktop. So you don't have to go on a, you don't have to have a mobile, but it means that, yeah, any, any issues that you, people do come across, they can report literally. I mean, whether that's in the, in the workplace physically or where they are working remotely, they can, they can access it wherever they are. So, yeah, something that we're thinking about. I mean, there's so many possibilities. I mean, believe it or not, we've been approached by an organization that, wants to reskin the app to have it as a pest control reporting mechanism so that residents of housing okay. associations can take pictures of, you know, rats, for example, because at the minute there's a big, believe it or not, I didn't know this a few weeks ago, I'm no expert, there's a big national issue with with rat infestations, which is a result of COVID where restaurants weren't serving as much food and they didn't yes. have a food source. And some of the rats are even chewing through concrete, believe it or not. And then... But that's a reactive problem and they're causing lots of physical damage where you can imagine if there was a reported mechanism by which residents of housing associations or whoever can report where the rats are, then they can be, um, dare I say, neutralised, I suppose, is the best best form. But you know I mean, there's lots of different different applications for what we've got here. And I won't... As you say, without fear. There's yeah, that, you know, fear. if I complain, yeah. if I speak up. Um, yeah. And if it's all right to say, I do think it's a very British thing as well, you know, keep quiet. Just carry on maybe you know we don't we, we don't want to rock the boat how well, i grew up with that expression you know let's just 
leave it to someone else to do because I'm also thinking as well is it right to ask so if you notice something in your workplace or in the community can you report it on behalf of someone else or do you have to report for yourself no you'd have to well we could there's different ways we can do it but you have to have a username so we know yeah. that someone okay. then, because one of the questions we do get is well, what happens if someone starts putting reports in that are fictitious for example right yes good point okay well that could be but you could have that anywhere people could use the same thing or stick an envelope under your boss's door with the same thing so but we if we have that issue and we know it's an ongoing issue and it's malicious then we can we we can get rid of that username and that account even though we don't know who they are yeah there's a point that you made earlier tara and you were talking to mark about it about organizations and and doing the right thing and, and doing what you say not just what you say you're going to do and the whole yeah. ESG agenda at the minute and I'm really hot on you know things in life where you're going to do it well do it because there's no point talking about doing a podcast like you're doing or doing a doctorate or whatever okay well, put your money where your mouth is and let's do this and lots of businesses and organizations seem to be jumping on the whole sort of well let's let's support disability okay what does that really mean let's jumping Absolutely. on the back of the BLM agenda whatever what practically what does that g mean in governance because really you're saying one thing but practically doing nothing and all you're doing is you know putting out in the press or to your staff that it you know lovely headlines we really what is what does that what does a bit of training mean you know if you've got a a decent not just the app but a decent policy and some real quality training from the likes of Mark or the likes of you or me who've been not yes. saying we've been there and done it because we're all learning every single day, but someone literally who's been there and knows what it's like to be at the other the wrong end of a an experience going on holiday yeah. to an airport, for example, you know, where that well it's very well been documented, not too far from where you are actually and living, but you know, in in airports where it's tragically someone died coming off an aeroplane, a wheelchair user, you know, okay, well, how did we then prevent that? Or how do we I saw that, yeah. Terrible. And Mark certainly, you know, I mean, dare I say it, he's going on holiday again um, in, a, in a couple of days' time. But what he's going to be doing is, is, is basically documenting his journey through to a journalist who then will be on the other end of the app. So he can then, in fact, we, before we came on air, as it were, with you, we were talking about how that's going to work. So Mark will be taking videos and photographs and using voice notes. And literally every report will go into this journalist's inbox so that she can then compile a report about disability access in the southeast and everything else so i won't say any more than that but that's amazing <laughs> isn't it but there is so much there i mean tokenism people don't like to talk about that too much but you know i work with a lot of patients and i have done over 22 years or so and the amount of people that i work with who say you know when it comes to mental health for example which i presume will also be covered by this app if you're being discriminated mm. against for something you're experiencing or have experienced is that the amount of people who say that you know companies will put it out there you know we've got a press relief we are you know mental health friendly but actually in day-to-day life i've lost count of the the number of patients if it's all right to say who are given a phase return but after two weeks the rest of the phase return scrapped and they're suddenly on full time so you know it ticked a box at the beginning and it's extremely invalidating for people and it doesn't promote them staying and wanting to stay as as Mm. well so i guess for me what i really love about this a that people have a really accessible way to do it i like mark's point before you know actually for most of us we want to be able to log on we might have that thought in the middle of sainsbury's i must report that thing i'm gonna do it it now (laughs) i can do Mm. it on the train i can do it wherever i haven't got to wait book appointment with hr or they're busy or maybe you know not do it once i get up there is that actually it's almost like i have thinking start having a little virtual backup team in your pocket isn't it? You know, for those people who might be a bit more isolated working at home, for example, you know, want to report something, almost feeling like you've got 
that validation there you are on, on a single app and and it is interesting isn't it mark in the kind of years we've known each other looking at attitudes to disability and how people support but again that congruence is something that's come out of today's conversation that there's such a difference between saying I get it I can see it but what are we going to do about it and then following up as well because as as I say there's no point reporting things to people but then it sits in a desk and and nothing's done so what I love about this app is that actually there's that follow-up isn't there that you know people are accountable and hopefully you know that is part of behavior change as well isn't it there's behavior change because people want to learn and to change their attitudes but also sometimes people need to be held accountable and that will also presumably add towards the change i mean that's one of the things tara that attracted me like i say into that speak up arena because the team behind the app yeah and like you say they are very passionate about what they do they've all had life experiences as well you know they've right through the meal and stuff, but they've turned that into a positive. Um, yeah. and that Because I didn't think anything would excite me as much as supported employment does, still does, until yeah. I got into this arena because it, it just, yeah, like I say, for me, I was just thinking, God, the applications that it could be used in the whole disability field is is just amazing. I mean, one of the examples is if, I, if this app had been around when I had, you know, technology wasn't as advanced but if it had been around when i contracted the spinal virus on 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 the building site at that time i then you know like a lot of people went through the whole sort of legal side just to see if there was any blame anywhere but what happened there just as a sideline really was that the staff at the time and i found this out 10 15 years later were told that if you say anything you'll lose your job because it was a health and safety issue on on the site really so um, threats, really. Yeah, yeah. And the, this was from the horse's mouth. This was old members of staff that had, I'd seen. And another guy on the same site had a, a virus around his heart at the same time. So it wasn't a one-off. Um, but obviously, it was so far down the line then that you couldn't. But I was just about, and that's what I said to Nick at the time. If that app, you know, if that was now and I'd had that app, I could have reported that and said, look, this is what's happened. You know, these guys have been told not to say anything, fear of losing their job. And then that would have been investigated and taken forward, and and who knows then? But yeah, I mean, you know, I've got over all that over, over these years. But that was just one thing that really resonated with me. God, that that's the power that that app could have. And yeah. like when we like when we went out and did the filming, mm. um, the piece of filming that I did, the road we went, we just picked a random road, and the cars that were parked there wasn't just me in the chair that couldn't get through. You know, it meant you know anybody with a pushchair, pram, you name it, mobility scooter, whatever, couldn't. Yep. And you had to go into that main road, which is a very busy road there, where you end which up. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, but so it's, it's helping people think as well, isn't it? You know, take you know, we all have neuroplasticity, whether we're two or ninety-two. Um, but helping people think about and realizing how their behavior impacts others, and actually helping those you know frontal lobes engage, <laughs> you know, initiating new behaviors and adapting um i'm going to let you have that point on me that was my last question for you if you had the app back then <laughs> maybe that's because we've known each other a long time we're thinking yeah. on the same lines what would you have yeah. thought yeah no you're absolutely right i mean and there's loads i mean i remember supporting people in large supermarket chains for instance in warehouses where i had then you know the yeah. support we were fading the support for instance and then we'd heard that someone thought it was really great to to say to this young lad you know sweep the floor um and then eight hours later he's still sweeping the floor because nobody had gone back and told him and the staff knew that they were just you know just 
just being completely nasty um, and things like that. And again, in that day, like you said, the, the, the process then was just horrendous and hideous. And it was only, and because it wasn't anonymous, it was bringing more focus, you know, on the people around. And so, you know, in the end, we had to pull the poor lad out because he didn't want to work there anymore. You know, once he'd realised what had happened and, and because we'd reported it in the old way, whereas, for instance, if that had, the app had been there, then we could have done that even on his, you know, behalf, whatever we could have, we could have reported that and it would have got dealt with very, very quickly. And then training could have been put in place again because you know where the gaps are and things like that so there's there's lots that can be done so yeah i'm quite excited about the future of where this i'm thinking when you think of that neurologically for a second you've got two things there you've got the culture of just giving someone a task to do and not checking in or seeing that as important but if you're working with someone who may have a neurological reason why they're not able to self-regulate or you know to stop doing that behavior you know if you're told and you've got certain conditions you would carry on doing that behavior until you're told to stop doing that. Um, there's two things that have come out today for me. There's something about tackling the culture of fear, if that's all right. You know, that, you know, very real thing, isn't it? If I speak up, what are the repercussions going to be? And as you say, Mark, with your background of supported employment, is that, you know, for people becoming independent, having that means of being financially independent, you know, speaking up could put a lot at risk, couldn't it? But also changing culture, changing our attitudes, um, changing our understandings, but doing it in the right kind of way. So as you say, moving away from these, oh, I've lost track of the amount of kind of tokenistic trainings I've seen (laughs) done on disability and, you know, inclusion. People like yourselves who have that lived experience, who know how can we really tackle some of these quite rigid minds, if that's all right to say? You know, I imagine there are some people around where it's going to take a little while to just gently tap away <laughs> those thoughts and thought okay. processes. Um, if people need to find out more about you guys, where can they go? So if they want to find more about the app, your website, just give us a recap. So that, And I will also, it will be in the show notes as well um, for people so they can have those links to go direct to them. Yeah, lovely. So um, website is itrust.uk.com. Um, we're on Twitter at itrustashore. And if you Google Nick Inge, I-N-G-E, on LinkedIn, you'll see my profile. And there's a link within my profile to the itrust LinkedIn page. There you go. So, Mark, if people want to find you, they need to. <laughs> I know I'm a little bit biased, but they need I'm, to find uh, you. <laughs> probably the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Just look up Mark Perrin. I'm on there. It's got, uh, like I say, it's got all, all the bits about what I've done in the past and what I'm doing and, you know, and I trust is in there and everything. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm there. I'm easy to find. I'm very accessible. I'm so thrilled. As I said, it's lovely. One of the things that I've tried to do with my podcast is to kind of kind of get that gap between people that I know I've been so inspired I've met so many people in my personal life that crossed over to professional and vice versa so it is lovely having you Mark and seeing you face to face because I haven't seen you face to face since before the pandemic even if it is just through a screen um, I know you've been through a lot in the last few years haven't you in the last year particularly so it's so nice to see you thank you Nick it's lovely to meet you too um, I'm a huge fan of your work now you'll find me quick lurking in your <laughs> LinkedIn um, because there's just so much to take in that I keep having to go back and finding out more about what you do so hopefully with my small following but loyal we can get your message out there everybody who comes on here so the last thing I do just as my little signature move as I call it is to ask them if you had one adversity takeaway for our listeners what would it be for me it would be if somebody for instance has a as a disability or requires a disability I would say to somebody and it's worked well for me is 
try to keep positive as you can and try and smile because it is so surprising how far that will get you in life if if you're positive and with a smile on your face you can get over most adversities if you just try try and try it and my top tip is believe in yourself and if you know it's right and you've got the where for all to be able to follow it through keep going because there'll be plenty of people in your way who'll try and put lots of barriers in your way but if you know in your heart of heart what you've done or what you've witnessed or what you want to do is is 100 correct then go for it because the only person stopping is going to be yourself ultimately brilliant nuggets there thank you so much guys it's lovely to meet you and hopefully i'm going to get you back on at some point again because <laughs> this is there's too much to just fit into one much. podcast episode so i'm sure i will be contacting you very soon <laughs> for one of my next series thank you for listening to this episode of the adversity psychologist podcast it's so lovely to have you here i'm dr tara quintrillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk you'll see everything i'm up to free resources my media work and my new covid recovery clinic as well remember to please rate and review my podcast it really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us the adversity psychologist podcast helping you one step at a time.